Hi everyone, I am Emily Landers and this is How'd She Do That? A podcast answering that question each episode. Welcome you guys, I am so happy that you are here and that you are listening to today's episode of HSDT. If it is your first time listening, I want to extend a very special welcome to you. And if you have been listening for some time, thank you. Thank you for coming back week after week. I know that these conversations are encouraging you and inspiring you in all that you're doing, because many of you reach out and let me know so. And I want to thank you for doing so. I mentioned in a recent Friday Favorites episode where I give a little more insight into what's happening with the podcast that it feels like after a year of doing this, uh, you guys are coming out of the woodwork and you're really saying, hey, I listen. Hi, just wanted to say I enjoy the podcast. And just so you guys know, whenever you DM me over on at Emily Landers or the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast, and you share these updates with me. It means so much to me. And I have a team now. I have three people assisting with all things HSDT. Uh, They love to hear it as well. We all love to hear how these episodes are encouraging you in your own life and in your own business. So please continue to give us updates. Let us know how we can improve and, and how we can continue to bring you wonderful content that hopefully puts into motion something new in your own life. Well, for those of you who have been following along on a personal note, Luke and I are excited. This past week, we did not have a Friday Favorites episode because we got the keys to our new home. We are moving just about four exits up the highway, so we will still be in the uh, Los Angeles area, um, and we're really thrilled. We're so excited. We're, we're adding a lot of space, um, and it's a long time coming, almost six years married, um, and this is a big move. So for those of you who are in big cities and really crazy real estate right now, I feel you um, on the renting front and whatnot, so hang in there. This place that we're moving into has been a godsend, and I appreciate all of the great feedback and the awesome tips that you all have been giving me for just decorating and whatnot. So we also have a few interior designers that have been on the podcast and are coming on that I may have to get a little inside scoop from. So thank you again for being excited with us. And as always, I want to pause and take a moment to thank you guys for those of you who've left a five-star review on iTunes of the podcast. That's a great way for new people to find us and for you to share some awesome feedback. So if you have not been able to do so, please do go over and leave us a five-star review. That is always so helpful to us. Well, Today's guest, let's get into it. I'm so excited that you all are here to listen to Talitha Phillips, CEO of Claris Health here in Los Angeles. Talitha came and spoke at our church in Malibu, and you're going to hear a little bit more about that. I mentioned it in today's episode, but she was amazing. She has an incredible personal story that we touch on a little bit in this episode, but if you're interested in hearing more, she's been on a few other podcasts, um, and you can get a little bit more insight into who she is. If you want to listen, she was on the Gabby Reese show and a few others. So just after you listen to this one, you can definitely find more uh, and hear more about Talitha. But I was so encouraged by our conversation. I was so impressed with 
gosh, you're going to hear how eloquent, how thoughtful, having met her, how kind uh, she is. But really, for her to be leading out in the way that she is in Los Angeles, specifically in women's health, this is such an amazing episode to really dive into and listen to. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Uh, Also, more recently, I left a little story update for y'all in regard to a fun fact about a guest coming on HSDT. Well, stay tuned because Talitha shares quite a few, but the one I mentioned may be mentioned in this episode. So if you know what I'm talking about, you already know this is going to be a really fun episode episode. For those of you who are interested in learning more about Claris Health, you guys can go ahead and look them up on Instagram. And as always, at the end of the episode, my guests share where you can connect with them. Talitha and I are excited about this conversation, and I know that you are going to enjoy it. It's definitely one you're going to want to send to a friend. So without further ado, here is Talitha Phillips on How'd She Do That? Today's guest, Talitha Phillips, is the CEO of Claris Health, a nonprofit women's health company and community care clinic based in Los Angeles, California. Talitha is a graduate of Pepperdine University and was first introduced to Claris Health as a patient after a pregnancy loss. She became involved as the part-time director of Claris, a company founded in 1976, which was small at the time. Since then, Talitha has grown alongside Claris Health, which offers holistic services before, during, and after pregnancy, as well as ongoing case management and support through many decision-making processes. Now, Claris has served over 13,000 women and their families in the past 10 years alone. Over 80% of its 1.7 million revenue in 2020 went directly back into its programs. When Talitha isn't helping women through Claris or her role as a doula, you might find her enjoying a matcha latte, taking a beach walk, or spending time with her daughters. Talitha, welcome to How'd She Do That? Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I have really been looking forward to this conversation and just a little insight into how we've been able to be connected. You actually came and spoke to Vintage Malibu, which is where my husband and I attend church. And we looked at each other after you spoke and he, he my husband actually was one. He was like, she has to come on the podcast, <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> which is so true. And he doesn't say, you know, he he stays out of this realm. But when he suggests <laughs> a guest, I'm like, okay, honey, I'm on it. And so to have been able to to meet you afterwards and to chat with you, I am so excited and honored to to share your story today. It's going to be fun. Thank you. Oh. Well, I kind of love to introduce my guest at the very beginning with a little insight into their post-grad college season of life. We've got a lot of young listeners. We also have women pivoting in their career as well as empty nesters. So we've got everybody listening, but I would love if you could share with us, I I mentioned you went to Pepperdine, but perhaps you tell us where do you go to school and perhaps what did you major in? Definitely. So I did go to Pepperdine. I graduated in 2000 and I had a, got a degree in organizational communication. 
So I um, started off as international business, which was, oh. I think, what my dad thought I should major in because <laughs> I was supposed to be a lawyer. And it took me about, you know, six months to realize in an econ class staring at me going, yeah, no, this is not <laughs> going to work. So um, a professor suggested organizational communication. I didn't really even know what that was at the time, but ended up being a really good fit. Um, and yeah, so mm-hmm. here we are. Oh my goodness. Well, at the time, what did you think you were going to do with that? What was the hope and dream in college for your life and career? You know, it was such a funny degree because at the time, most people were graduating and they were going into communication consulting. And so most of the group projects I'd worked on and internship was all centered around um, consulting with organizations. Oh. I thought I might work at, at the time it was called Deloitte and Touche. I had interviewed mm-hmm. there. There were different companies. and But then it took a strange turn and... And it's funny to think I am using that degree. I mean, so much of it was working in teams and understanding organizational culture mm. and how to function productively in a team. And so um, I had no idea that I actually liked working in groups. I just didn't even realize that was a thing at the time. (laughs) So it's been really good now leading a team and realizing, oh my gosh, culture is so critical and communication is everything in leadership. Yeah. It really makes or breaks a situation. So well, it's funny. Yeah. I, I always share when I share my major was communication. And I don't even know what I don't know if podcasts were like a thing when I was in college, but I, I too I look back on I'm like, that is the major for anybody who doesn't know perhaps what they want to do. Yeah. Communication <laughs> is where it's at because it's everywhere. You're gonna do it, you're gonna use it, and it is cool. It's always fun to kind of hear what that that looked like in school and of course with what you're doing now. Well, tell us a little bit about that that postgrad season of life and perhaps what it looked like for you to actually be done and and be done at Pepperdine. What was that season of life like for you? Um, Yeah. So, you know, as I was graduating and, you know, looking for a job, um, I ended up landing sort of initially at a tech company. I graduated in the year of the tech business, you know, the boom, there was a big boom at that time. And so I ended up, um, I nannied through college and one of the women I nannied for was a CPA and she said, Hey, my friend is starting this company and you should go. And so I did. Um, and it was, you know, interesting. I was an office manager for, um, a company with, all and this is kind of important you'll learn later but for it was all men at the company so oh, it was wow. me with you know all these guys <laughs> and um you know it was a in in a sense it was a dream job hmm. because it was so you know in a way it was pretty easy and you know as long as i made coffee and <laughs> they had everything they needed <laughs> it was everything was fine um, but it was it was interesting because I think it was one of those jobs where I just wasn't challenged. I wasn't really fulfilled in mm-hmm. any way. And it's what I think prompted me to eventually, you know, um, 
look out and sort of realize that there was something missing. And my, I only was there for about nine months. Mm. And then I ended up pretty quickly getting a job or actually, Claire sort of came to me. I wasn't Mm -hmm. looking for it. I was trying to get into that consulting, that dream consulting job at Deloitte Intuition. I didn't get hired. And it was a pretty devastating moment. It was one of those um, moments where I felt that I failed. You know, there were Mm -hmm. so many other, um, they ended up choosing a younger girl, a newer grad. And I was devastated. And in the back of my mind that these women from what is now Claris kept saying to me, we feel like you should be working here. We really feel like this would be such a great fit. And I ran from it for months Wow! um, and then had a very sort of surrendering moment where I just remember sort of throwing my hands up in the air and really sort of saying to God at that point, if you really want me to work here, then you need to make it abundantly clear, (laughs) you know, like this, you know, you better make this, you know, make make me know this is it. And um, I ended up getting a call from this is the most bizarre turn. So wait for it from <laughs> Chuck Norris. So um, the actor Chuck Norris, they were having twins, he and his wife, and they uh-huh. wanted help at night with the babies. And I um, knew the family, loosely knew the family. And so somebody said, you should have Talitha do it. She's amazing with babies. And so it was that moment of the only way for me to work overnight, so many overnights, is if I take this part-time job with this little nonprofit. And here we are. That was in 2001. Oh my gosh, Talitha, I give you the award for the craziest turn of events. (laughs) ever to have been mentioned on this podcast. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. I yeah, yeah, you could have never told me what you were about to say. So, yeah. Okay, that's amazing. So from there, yeah, you you're like okay, this there there's so many things to unpack here. I'm like dying. This is Yeah. You're like, where do we go? I'm literally like, where do we go? But tell you that I mean, well, one, so cool that that you were in a season that you were like okay, yeah, we've got, this has got to be clear this, you know, and for both of these roles to kind of line up together, because was your thought with Claris originally, it was, was it not enough? Like, were you looking like, were you wondering, oh, it's not full time? Was that the hesitation? Or what was kind of the real theme of struggle to move forward with that role with with so many people wanting you to join in? I think there was more of an internal, um, I mean, I think if I boiled it down, I'd be just pride. I mean, it was yeah. this tiny organization with this little budget. Um, wow. and my, my family, my, I mentioned earlier, my dad really wanted me to be a lawyer. Right. And I thought, Oh, he's gonna really flip out when I say I'm actually going to work for part-time for this little <laughs> nonprofit. Um, at the time, nobody um, knew my personal story and journey with Clarice that I had been a client and that's why they had contact with me. And there was something about when I went through, um, they had a pregnancy loss, a post-abortion support group. And when I went through that, mm. um, the woman who led that must have seen something in me that I didn't see for myself. And so for me, it was like, no, 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 I have, oh, and by the way, I have all these Pepperdine loans. I was on scholarship, but not a full ride. So I was like, I have debt. I need to get a career. I can't, you know, I can't work there. And so 
Um, and you know, I'm the oldest child. I have three younger brothers, and so my entire high school and younger years, I was the only girl. So mm. when I went and worked at that first company, it was all men. I'm like, oh, this is great. This is familiar. I have brothers. Wow. I know this. I was a football trainer in high school. Like I, I can do this. And then they said, oh no, we want you to come and work for this organization that's all women, <laughs> all women, you know, staff, it's a female staff that, you know, clients are female. And here I am going, Oh my gosh, this feels like punishment, but you know, <laughs> little did I know it's amazing. Sometimes when things happen that you're thankful, you couldn't control the outcome because mm -hmm. you would have never, you would have missed something that was really great. Well, and I don't even think that I realized, you know, hearing your story when you stepped into this role, how little, you know, Claris was. It was it was almost a baby in and of itself, you know, and kind of getting off the ground and growing in the way that it has. It is amazing to think that you stepped into this part time role. Now, tell us a little bit about that original role. What were you doing day to day? What did it look like to be a part time director at that season of, I guess, Claris's? life? That's such a good question. Um, so we were a really small organ or small physically and just mm. in every other way. So um, at the time, the budget was about 90,000. We were not a medical clinic. Mm -hmm. So women would come to us for counseling, um, sort of decision making, they could take a pregnancy test at our office. But because we weren't medical, we couldn't even diagnose a pregnancy. Wow. So they could come, we'd give them a free test, we'd counsel them. And then we had support services. So if they, you know, if they needed parenting support, we did these one-on-one -on -one sort of parenting sessions. We gave some material assistance, diapers, wipes, things like that. And then um, we would, we had this, you know, post-abortion support as well. And when they hired me, so I was 23, I was had no clue when I say no clue I mean no <laughs> clue what I was doing and they hired me and the board I think because we were small and sort of young I mean the agency was 30 years old so it is in almost 30 years old so they right. were small but but they had been small for a lot of years and so when they hired me they said we have a couple of big goals we have to move we want to become a licensed medical clinic they wanted to open a thrift store at the time to, oh. they thought it would be a way to generate revenue. It was not. <laughs> um, and so they had all these goals and, you know, here they hire this young new director. And so I think I clocked in technically at about 20 hours, but I was, I mean, from the beginning working so much more wow. than, so the clinic was a center at the time. The, the, the center was open 20 hours a week and, but pretty quickly, I mean, I would say one of the benefits to being young and not really knowing what you're doing is I, my posture was very sponge-like, like, let me learn. Hmm. Um, I remember walking in at the time and saying to myself, I would never have walked in here a couple of years ago because hmm. I, I would have felt weird, you know, so yeah. it was we need to move. We need to get, you know, rid of this wall of diapers and, you know, we right. need to be more professional and becoming a licensed clinic made sense. And so pretty quickly, you know, I'll, I'll just give one little snapshot pretty quickly within the first 
let's see, I started in 2001. I think by 2005, we were licensed as a medical facility. We had added a pregnancy prevention program. We moved within the first year. And pretty immediately, I started realizing we have to be culturally relevant in the Mm -hmm. city of Los Angeles. We need to make sure that we are caring for people before this is where the before, during, and the after. Like we can't just be there in the moment when, Mm. you know, women are trying to decide what to do and then saying, you know, sort of good luck. You know, that was never what we were saying, but it felt that way with the services. Right. Gosh, these are tough decisions and we need to walk through this with these women. And then realizing it doesn't just affect the pregnant woman, it also affects partner if he's involved it affects extended family members yeah it affects future the future their future and so how can we have these wraparound services so hopefully you know many women won't need to come to us for mm-hmm. you know pregnancy services because we're preventing some but also if they're in that situation how can we really help impact their lives long term mm. and that really was the impetus for this holistic or what we call integrated model of care. Wow. Well, even just to hear, and remind me, where are you from originally? That's another interesting question. (laughs) I I grew up overseas for most of my younger years. Yeah. So I went to German school. We lived in Holland and then Germany until I was in eighth grade. Okay. And so then my I went to um, high school in Oklahoma. So technically, I should say oh, I'm from Oklahoma because I went to high school there, but really, <laughs> probably more Europe. Okay. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. I do remember now you sharing that. But but the reason that I ask is because I find it so interesting that right off the bad, it feels like perhaps it, it took a little bit of, of time, but you really were thinking about, yeah, how can we be culturally relevant in Los Angeles, which for those of you who, you know, we are all familiar with Los Angeles, but for those of you who don't live here, things change like every single day. I mean, there's new trends, there's new people, there's people in and out. What did it look like to move forward into that? I guess it was the holistic point of view, but how did you how did you guys at that time connect with women who may need help? What what was the kind of outstretched hand or was it more them reaching towards you? Does that make sense? What did that look like? A fascinating question. I'm not sure I'm not sure there was one thing. It was probably a million little things yeah. where it was, what is it? What do they see when they first walk in? Right. right? How are they greeted? Um, do they see, you know, flowers on the wall or do they see, you know, this professional um, medical environment, but that's warm and and kind? Are they greeted with a smile? Do we use their name? Mm. Um, Does it feel like sort of a safe place? But then are forward facing into the culture. When you find us online, do you feel like we thought of you before you went there? Are we catering more to our donors or are we catering more to the population we serve? Mm. Um, Transparency is huge. Um, You know, having one creating one website. So a donor or a patient, when they find us, who are we primarily marketing toward? Wow, and yeah. for us, that was a conviction that it was 
the woman or man or family that walks through the door that, and that was a shift and that made some donors uncomfortable, Mm. Um, you know, and then looking at, okay, how, you know, the topic of unintended pregnancy or abortion is, can be so polarizing. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of organizations are sort of comfortable in a box where they'll say, I'm going to pick one, one side or the Mm -hmm. other. And even the, so many of the terms are very politically aligned. And so we learned being in LA, well, wait a second. I think there's so much more that we all agree on than Mm -hmm. disagree on. And so if we focus on messaging and ways to unite people around caring for the needs of our city, Mm -hmm. then maybe some of the, um, the polarization will disappear. And, and that we've seen that happen. We've seen people come together and, like, wow, I know these two are politically very different, <laughs> but gosh, they both care about women and they they understand being in Los Angeles that the way we serve might be different. And, you know, there's that, as <laughs> this is kind of scary now, but as California goes, so goes the nation or there's something, right. you know, something like that. I'm hoping that that's not, not the case. case. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I'm so tired of that. But totally. I think in a lot of ways, we were just a little bit ahead of the curve of yeah. saying, ah, you know what? When people walk in, they want to be offered. They'd love to be offered a cup of coffee or some water. When the guys walk in, they would love to see a magazine that is relevant to them. Yeah. They would like to be included. So all these things that don't seem, they seem like common sense, but they're really not. And I do remember UCLA came out with this, with this information about integrated care. And we really need to start seeing that people that walk in here aren't just physical beings. They're emotional, they're spiritual. And yeah. I, and our medical director said, so UCLA is finally realizing <laughs> what Clarice realized in you know 2005. And I think that's probably, that's, that's it, right? Like looking at not just the physical being, but their emotional and spiritual side as well. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. And It's so cool because everything you're saying, I mean, my husband and I, we've lived in Los Angeles for coming up on six years. And it's amazing because I was actually introduced to Claris years ago. I mean, very early on in us living here. um, I think we we didn't get to attend, but I think we're invited to a a dinner and and whatnot. And for you guys to infiltrate, I mean, and we're up in Malibu and this is where the invitation was given to us. You know, you guys have really infiltrated um, in the best way possible Los Angeles and, and for people to be able to unite in the way that you've said. You guys, Talitha, the, you know, she's the CEO of this company, but I can attest from experience and looking and seeing who it is that has told me about Claris, who has supported Claris. That's really the case. And so it's so much fun for me to hear and for all of us to hear about these early days. And I'm beyond impressed because you're telling me, and you guys, let's do a little timeline here. Talitha just mentioned when she started with this part-time role, and I'm sure it, it has, it and it did kind of shift into something more at 23. Tell us about the move. I mean, what, what roles have you taken on in Claris? I'm guessing there's a handful of them, right? No, it's interesting. I've been this. So the titles I've had multiple titles, but it's been the same. So it was, you know, director, then it became executive director, and then it became CEO, just as the organization grew. I think when we went to a multi site organization, it became executive director. And then when we, you know, planted a 
you know, another facility or, or added programs that eventually became CEO. But yeah, same, same, technically the same position. Okay. See, and that, that just goes to show your growth alongside the company. Now I'd love to know, do you have a memory? Is there a memory early on that, and perhaps there will be many thoughts to this question, but is there a memory that you have maybe early on? Because like you said, we're talking about things that can be very polarizing to people. Um, a lot of opinions, a lot of politics, but ultimately, like you said, caring for women is the, is the key goal here. Is there a memory that you might could share with us maybe early on that you thought, what have I gotten myself into? This mm. is crazy. What's going on here? <laughs> The first one that pops in my mind is just the first day on the job. And I, so this woman who actually lives in Malibu, Susan, was the president of the board. And she was the one that really was encouraging. We really would like you to consider this job. And I had known her through my time at Pepperdine. Yeah. And so on the first day, they had had an interim director. So there had been a director in there for several years. She had her second baby and decided she didn't want to work anymore. And then there was this gap. I think it was a full year, like a gap year. And there was a, a woman who I'm still friends with, but she's, she was this interim director. And mm-hmm. on the first day, the first day on the job, she, I mean, I don't, maybe I'm making this more dramatic, but it something <laughs> to the effect of here's the keys, here's the place, here's this thing we have to get out, some fundraising appeal. And Good luck. I mean, I you know she wasn't mean about it, but I think she had been in here for so long. I don't think it, she intended to be there that long, and it was you know just you know, here you go. And I remember being alone, and just to give you a little idea of where we were at the time, we were in this strip mall on the second floor above a Chinese food restaurant, <laughs> and I every day at around one o'clock, the smells started rising and it was so gross and hot. And I just remember sitting on the floor and just crying, like, what have I done? I can't do this. I don't, you know, I don't want to do this. And there, you know, I'm part, I do have, my grandma is German and I went to this German school and there's just, just this crazy drive in me and almost like the bigger the challenge, the more I will rise. I won't happily rise, you know, like (laughs) kind of, wow, what have I done? So, but I do, I remember that first day. And then for the first year, anytime I would go to a conference or I would go somewhere to learn about my role, I I was 20 years younger than anyone there. And that was really hard. And so there were multiple times of just, you know, what have I done? But then I also must have seen potential. And I think just learning and saying, yeah, I'm not going to go that way. Maybe I'm going to go this way or, you know, taking, you know, chewing, say chewing the meat, spitting out the bones, you know, just say, okay, this might fit in LA and that won't. And just kind of soaking it in. 
Oh my gosh. It's so fun to even think of you. Yeah. Running around to conferences. And again, it's incredible to me that this has been the longevity of your career. I mean, this is rare that someone is able to stay with a company as long as you have, or, or with a nonprofit, I should say, and to be able to grow in this way. And I love one thing you just shared, which was kind of the bigger the challenge, the more you personally rise. What would mm-hmm. you say to someone who that doesn't come naturally to them? It, it sounds as though, like you said, kind of that uh, German side of you, perhaps, and just that go-getter spirit. But for someone that that doesn't necessarily come naturally, what encouragement might you have for, for someone who's listening that would say, yeah, that's not me, but I need to, I need to get there. I would say surround yourself with people Mm. who can share the, the burden of it or provide whatever it is that you need, whether it's guidance, whether it's a hand to hold, whether it's a mentor, Mm. Um, I mean, I was very blessed to have the the director before me, the one that had her second baby, stayed as just a, a mentor to me. Hmm. And then the board at that time was very involved. So I might have had that, you know, drive, but they were instrumental in helping me push through. Hmm. There were some battles they fought for me. There were some they fought with me and there were some where they just let me learn on my own. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, slowly I grew and then they became more of a governing board um, and not as much. And then, you know, Christy, the former director is still one of my closest friends and I still call her just as a confidant sometimes yeah. just to get whether I need to vent and she doesn't live in California anymore. So it's nice that I have somebody that can hear me and understand what I'm saying and then challenge me. And so I would say, yeah, if somebody is lacking in that area, I mean, honestly, I think working in the nonprofit world is really hard if you are overwhelmed by challenges because it's the nature of the beast in a sense. I mean, it is, you learn more from your failures than you learn from your successes in the nonprofit world. Mm -hmm. And if every failure rocks you to the point of, being debilitated, I don't, it's a, it's going to be very hard. So finding whether you need an outlet or mm. yeah, a mentor and it can be a friend or, um, or, you know, surround yourself with people that have that drive that maybe you lack because even just sort of yeah. holding on to their coattails might get you there. No, totally. I think that's so good. I agree. I, you you can find the energy you need from other people in your life. And and even like you said, yeah, grab their coattails, uh, take that from them and, and kind of push forward uh, with whatever entity it is that you need to really hone in and, and have that drive. I, I love that's such great advice and such great wisdom. Well, piggybacking on something you just shared, I'd love to know, and <laughs> this this is a little bit of a loaded one, but are there any instances or perhaps an instant throughout your career that you'd say failure actually helped shape it? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of failures. I think <laughs> <laughs> I think the one I'd probably share is um you know, being in this role and I think, you know, looking at other leaders, we all love success stories. We all love, you know, that, you know, seeing the impact and lives changed. But I think the reality is, especially when you work in 
you know, a field like we do with real people, their lives are complicated and there's a lot of hardship and a lot of pain. And one, one situation I'm thinking of, um, was somebody I was working very close with and, um, her baby ended up being removed from her, um, into the foster care system. And I personally felt like such a failure because I, thought at the time I could have prevented it. I didn't answer my phone when she tried calling. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the social workers tried calling and I never missed calls. So the thought that I missed something and then there were a lot of other things and it really, really shook me. Um, And it's a much bigger story, but I think what it did was it reminded me in a very important season in my leadership role that it's, it's not about me. Like it's never really been about me. It's not about perfect stories Mm. that it's, it's really just about showing up Mm. and showing up again. And, um, I think, you know, maybe the best way to describe it is sort of not letting the, the stains of our failures define us. And that's whether that's, you know, a very personal situation like this or a grant that we didn't get or a fundraiser that didn't, do so well or staff members that quit and, you know, or your leadership is criticized, whatever that failure, there's always a chance to grow. Mm-hmm. And we are, um, I mean, I'd like to think I sort of lead from those broken places, but I also know that because of the things that have gone wrong, we always implement sort of a post check-in. Mm-hmm. So if something happens, we'll say, you know, what did we learn here? What went well? What didn't every event we do every gala? And, you know, I think this is my 20th or 21st gala. Every time afterwards, we call those who give us phone numbers and we say, you know, thank you for being there. What did you love? And what could we do better? Hmm. And I've had other CEOs say to me, I can't believe you're still calling donors after these and you're still asking for feedback. And isn't that risky? And it is. And you know what? Normally the criticisms, we share them, you know, but giving people that opportunity to say, we know we're not perfect. And how can we grow or this situation with this baby and they ended up being reunified. We were then a part of the reunification process and we learned a lot in that. And it probably was actually a good thing that I wasn't involved, you know, and just looking back and taking a few moments and breathing and reminding yourself, you can't save everyone. You can't fix everything. And ultimately it's not really about you. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to keep that posture of humility. Well, and that's a hard pill for some people to swallow. Even, even, even hearing it just then, it's not really about you. You kind of think, wait, what? Like, it's just human yeah. nature to be <laughs> like, wait, I hate that sentence. What, what, what do you mean? But it's so true. And it's such a good reminder for any role or, or even for, for those of us who, you know, look outward and attempt to, to help those in our own lives, you know, and to recognize with an offense, or like you said, a, a stain of, of a, you know, a quote unquote failure, it doesn't define you. You can still move forward and, and can still move forward to assist the best way you know how from, like you just said, that place of humility. Wow. Yeah. So good. Well, I'd love to know on the flip side of that, because I know you've had quite a few, but could you share perhaps a real wow moment for you and Claris? I think the most recent wow, may I just say 2020, was <laughs> just a giant <laughs> wow. But one ex- one example is 
you know, there was so much uncertainty in that year, especially in the nonprofit world. And will any of our donors still live in California? Will anyone, you know, still be able to give? And will they care about this? Because now the needs of the city are are so much bigger um, than just the things we're working with. And the big wow is, you know, every plan we made in 2020 was shattered. Um, and then our big gala is every October and, you know, it was canceled and we decided to move it into this, you know, sort of virtual hybrid thing. And it, we were blown away by the support that we received through that year, Um, not just financially, but also volunteers and people came out from everywhere. It was one of our most successful galas. And what we kept hearing is, you know, we felt such the strong conviction to move toward people in a season when everyone was moving away from them Hmm. and not allowing fear to um, be a part of any of our decision-making. And so we have this mobile clinic that goes into communities across Los Angeles and provides general health screenings. And within hours of the shutdown, we decided we're going to turn it into a food and um, essential items distribution vehicle. And so we were driving into, and it opened all these doors into these new housing communities and homeless um, communities where people are experiencing homelessness. And we, um, I think because, you know, it wasn't intentional. We just said, look, there's a need and none of our staff got sick. We serve more people in unique ways than we ever have before. And now we're seeing incredible vision that was birthed out of that Mm. challenging year and saying, okay, wait a second. So many people have lost funding or had to shut their doors. But now we're realizing, gosh, we could expand our reach virtually in a lot of ways. And we can start training other organizations that are on the front lines of meeting women and families in these difficult situations. Let's just train them so they can serve and love them well. And then we can you know, be there for them virtually if they need us or connect them in their own city. And mm. so all these dreams... Wow were birthed out of what I, a year I went into wondering, are we going to even survive? And then to just see this outpouring of support was uh, really special. Well, that is a huge wow and recent, yeah, recent wow moment to be able to think, okay, what, and I love too, what you're sharing in that so much inspiration came from it and so much more to come. And I'm going to ask you in a little bit, what is next? But to hear that there's so much momentum with all that you're doing, I want to know, and this is just a question that comes to mind currently, because I do getting to know you now and, and having heard your story before, I do sense just such a strong, like, passion for moving forward and for just continuing on, just almost continuing your marching orders in in some way. And I'm curious, what is that in you? Where where does the continual inspiration come from to keep pushing forward? Because again, you guys, for those of you who are listening, nonprofit is no joke. And to have been in it for the amount of time that you have, I mean, the stories that you could share, I'm sure they're unending. But what is it? (laughs) What is that? that 
true drive and inspiration that keeps you moving forward through something like COVID, through the drives, through, you know, encampments in Los Angeles, through the conversations with women who have aborted a child or are thinking about it or or have a pregnancy that they're they're just terrified of. What is it? What's that final kind of inspiration? What what keeps you moving? I don't know if it's just a personality thing where some people see challenge and they run. And I, I mean, I don't know. I've done a lot of studies on personality <laughs> tests and I'm definitely, you know, the, I like the challenge. Yeah. I, I don't, but I do. Uh, but interestingly, I don't love conflict, but I like challenge. So it's a, a bit wow. of a weird blend. But I think what actually keeps me going is somewhere along the road of these last 20 years, what a job that I didn't want and a population that I didn't think I had maybe much in common with. I mean, I think I started thinking, gosh, if I could help other women who, you know, when I chose um, to have an abortion, I did so really for me, it was either you do this in secret and get rid of it, or you lose your college scholarship mm. um, and your future and you disappoint everyone, you know, and I felt so trapped. And I think I thought I knew I had options, but then when I reflected back, I didn't, I felt like mm. it was what I had to do. And I think I thought, gosh, if I could help other women know this, this doesn't define you for the rest of your life. And yeah. regardless of what you choose, it can become a catalyst for change in your life. And your life is not over because of this one situation. And yeah. But then along the years, it, it grew into a calling. Um, mm. I think the reason, the only reason I'm still in LA right now <laughs> is because I love seeing the fruit of the work that we do. And, mm. uh, you know, there's the devastating, we've planned funerals for mm. people whose children have died. We've been a part of weddings. Mm. We've been at first birthday. You know, we've seen it all. And I love the fact that people over and over keep saying, you became family, you became family, you became family. And I think mm. that's what keeps me going. You know, mm. we can't leave. Now, I don't, I think another you know, CEO could come along and probably <laughs> do this better and take it to a new place. But no. I also really still feel, I still love the work and it's the mm. lives. It's the, it's being there. And, you know, you mentioned I'm a doula and I think yeah. there's you know, I started at, you know, I started working for Technoris as sort of their postpartum doula slash night nurse. And then I trained as a labor doula. And I've, for 20 years, I've done both hand in hand. And there is nothing sweeter than being a part of these life-changing moments and being in the delivery room when a baby takes its first breath and a mom lets out this big sigh of relief. And you know, her life is never going to be the same or, you know, working with the family at night and I was with a baby last night and he's, you know, nine weeks old and he's sleeping 12 hours and he wakes up once and, you know, we give him a passy maybe one time and like seeing that and the parents are like, I never thought this was possible. Like, <laughs> I knew it was. I told you, if you do the things, you know, that I've laid out, it will happen and it will happen early. It's just such a sweet feeling of accomplishment. And I think mm. seeing how it doesn't matter if you're 16 and, you know, a young pregnant teen that feels alone or whether you are a 
40-year-old celebrity, those insecurities we all share as women. You know, when they gave me my baby, I'd been a doula for, I don't know, a decade. Wow. Maybe that's not true. (laughs) Yeah. No, 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 no. Seven years, I think. Uh, You know, they they put her in the car at the hospital. You know, they're like, here you go. They wheel you out. Here's your baby. And I sat next to her and thought, oh, my gosh, they're letting us take this four and a half pound baby home. Like, what am I, you know, what am I? And I'm like, wait a second. I know what to do. I know exactly. But you know, just those insecurities of insecurities, you know, every mom wonders, or is my child going to end up in therapy because I raised them? You know, all these questions, we all have them. Hmm. And so I think it really levels the playing field in such a beautiful way to realize the insecurities, the need to know you're valuable, the need to know your love, the need to know that you can, your podcast, you know, how'd she do it? We, we can all do this, mm-hmm. right? Whatever it is that we've been called to do, mm. um, we're not alone and we can do this. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I mean, what, what is there to add? I mean, th- this is kind of, I say this often in, in the podcast, there's always these pause and rewind moments. So I think that's yours. I think it's pause, you guys rewind and listen to all that Talitha just shared. Because again, even the element of tying in, you know, your experience as a doula and being able to care for these women. I mean, it's amazing how much you have done and how much you have stepped into your calling, obviously your calling, one that you're passionate about and one that you inspire others to get involved with. Um, It's been so fun to hear about. Well, I know there's always something fun coming up for you and for Clarice. I'd love to know what can we be on the lookout? What's next for you? Well, first, I'm actually going on a vacation. Yes. (laughs) Where are you going? I'm so excited because I rarely do this. Uh, We're (laughs) heading to sort of a road trip through Arizona. So I'm going to go to Sedona, which I've never been there. And then... The Horseshoe Bend and then Utah. I'm gonna hike ah. the Narrows again and do all those fun, those fun things. So, ah. yes. When is this? I, when is this road trip? Because we're actually we're doing a uh, California to Colorado this weekend. Oh, we're leaving Friday. Okay, okay. Well, we'll yeah. we'll be waving at you from the road. How fun is that? Yes, yes. <laughs> so that's super fun. I'm really excited about that. And then. Yeah, I just had my 20th anniversary. And so just being Gosh. able to, you know, step away and, and get away is exciting. But then, you know, professionally, so we have some really exciting things on the horizon. And, you know, maybe a little bit of a spoiler alert, but we're <laughs> in the very early stages of um, considering building a campus in Los Angeles that wow. would be a very large place in South LA where we could gather several nonprofit support agencies together under one roof. Wow. And instead of, you know, one of the biggest barriers in our city is just trying to access resources from all these different places and these yeah. transportation issues. And so we want to create a safe place where women can and families can come and they can get their medical needs. And then if they need food, they can go to you know, maybe WIC is in there. And if they need childcare, there's childcare. And if they need immigration services, there's a law firm. And so we would invite 
people to be tenants at a very reduced rate. And then we would ask them to consider, or they would have to consider a portion of their services going to help the population we serve. And we're envisioning a playground and a rooftop event space. So nonprofits wouldn't have to pay for event space all over the city. We could just have, you know, they could have access to it. So that is um, the very early stages of, you know, testing this out in a capital campaign. So I feel, you know, part of me, is like, you know, after 2020, I was like, I'm moving to Texas yeah. quickly, but no, I'm still here. And I think like you said, the drive, there still is this passion in me to see these things fulfilled because mm-hmm. um, especially after this pandemic year, the needs in our city are unbelievable. And most of them are still secret. You know, there's addiction, the mental health, the suicide, the abuse, the neglect. Um, Nobody, I mean, you'll see a tiny little report, but I can tell you it is devastating. And there are no eyes on it yet. Yeah. You know, there's rumblings. Yeah. But I just think just wait until the veil is lifted. And I think we need to all just rush in and be ready to Mm. um, triage and help the city. Mm. So well said. I have chills over here because it it goes back to what we talked about earlier, that the theme I was hearing was just those marching orders in the best way possible. So I'll I'll take those from you now and and we'll be prepared to, to love our city, to love LA. Well, this has been amazing. I've loved every moment of this conversation. Is there anything that we didn't cover though that you'd like to? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, and I love too, I love just the theme of of networking and keeping amazing relationships in your career and life and even the encouragement previously of surrounding yourself with people who care and can you can lean on and and you can share what's going on in your life. And I always love to tie it in towards the end. I love to ask my guest who do you know that should maybe come on and share their story? I think you would love to hear from my friend, um, former colleague. Her name is Tara Hilliard. And Tara is now the, her title is executive director of an organization called Forgotten Children International. Wow. She has an incredible personal story and uh, calling working with victims of human trafficking in Los Angeles. So I would love to connect you and she, you would be blown away with with her story and passion. Well, that sounds amazing. Thank you for thinking of her and thank you for such an awesome recommendation. You all will have to be on the lookout for a potential episode with Tara where I've teased this a little bit, Talitha, but where can listeners connect with you? My name is Talitha, so I'm very easy to find if you Google. There's only a few of us. I'm not the realtor, and <laughs> there's one that's a realtor. Oh my God. Uh, but I um, have a personal Instagram. I think it's Talitha J. You can also go to the website, the Claris, it's clarishealth.org. And under staff, there's an email that goes directly to me. Um, but yeah, you can find me pretty easily. Oh. Fantastic. Well, you guys are going to want to check out Claris Health and all that they're doing and be sure to say hi to Talitha. Talitha, thank you so much for your time today. This was...
Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How'd She Do That? I am Emily Landers. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily Landers and the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast. I hope you'll join us next Tuesday for a new episode. We will talk to you soon.